Hello and welcome to We Are The University, a podcast about the people who make Cambridge University unique. I'm your host, Nick Saffel. I'm here with Prem Gill and Prem, I think you have a pop quiz for me. I do indeed. I'm going to be playing some noises from my Antarctic seals and I'm going to be playing some other noises which are space recordings from our space weather station in Halley. So the game is can you guess whether this is seal or space? Okay, ready? Ready, can't wait. All right, first sound. What are you thinking? I'm going to say space because it sounded slightly windy. I know there's no <laughs> wind, but you know, it doesn't sound, yeah, okay. it doesn't sound like a um a sort of it sounded more rhythmic but then maybe seals do have rhythm i don't know but yeah i i don't know okay yeah. um flawed logic but you were right so you did get to the right answer um <laughs> okay good so yeah that was space that yeah. was um so that's the noise emitted by the southern lights and uh they emit these natural radio waves which are picked up by a low frequency radio receivers and when it's sonified it makes that noise which we've dubbed the dawn chorus um so i guess i mean it's almost a, it's not quite a wind but it, it is in the yeah, atmosphere you know what i mean yeah, yeah yeah okay so, i mean yeah not a bad answer i was almost just picturing a um a remote um station on the and on, on oh, antarctica and the, you know just the yeah, it, that's what it yeah, sounded yeah, like yeah. and i was just I thinking mean, that you... it can't be a seal that's what popped up straight in my mind got it got yeah. it got it, got it. Okay. that's where i was going well, with I'm, my... I'm gonna play another noise i'll be interested okay. to see the logic behind your answer for this even if it is correct yeah. um Because I'm going to say seal, but I also can see the space because it sounds to me a bit like, do you remember those zorbing tubes that used to shake it and it oh, make a right. sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. scient, think, yeah, uh, sort yeah. of la- think, not lasery no, sound. No, I think but they were called like thunder sticks when I thund- last saw them. Sticks. Yeah, I know, I know yeah. what you're about. So, but I'm going to go with seal because even though it sounds something similar to that and it almost has a spacey feel to it, yeah. which I guess what is the point between the yes, quiz, yes. but I'm going to say seal. Okay, yes, you have definitely got I the right answer there. I couldn't tell so, you what seal it is, but... Well, I mean, well done, because you're the first person to get 100% on this quiz. Thank you very much, um, with, even with my flawed logic. Even with your flawed logic, which has worked out for the best. Yeah. Um, but yes, that that was a Weddell seal. And what I stumbled upon is the fact that Weddell seals essentially make a very very similar noise to the southern lights in antarctica and i thought oh not only is that quite fun and interesting but um i knew i was due to speak alongside the european space agency on my research and uh, i was quite nervous about that presentation because i was the only student there was four speakers and everyone else was the heads of various sort of departments within space agencies or tech companies so I figured, how do I get them to listen to my presentation instead of going on to Facebook? So Grab I did their the... attention straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did I did the pop quiz, which I did with you. And um, after I did that pop quiz, someone approached me from the Alan Turing Institute, um, who I'd actually met a few months before from when I had done a bit of research there. And he said, oh, by the way, hey, Prem, just so you know, I make techno music on the side. 
would you like to make this into a song? And um, I said yes, and now it's grown into this big 3D immersive experience, which will include not so much a techno song, but a grime song, which is the backdrop to this 3D immersive experience, which okay. will tell you about the plight of the seals, the latest conservation science that's being done, and who are the conservationists saving these seals. I can understand the, the drift from techno to grime. Mm -hmm. It has a sort of more... Um, a bit electronic, I guess. Yeah, it's a bit more... Well, I, I guess... Well, you'd think techno had a bit more electronic yeah, than oh, grime. Yeah, okay, I see. Yeah. As in, why did I go for grime over techno? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, the reason I went for grime is... Um, well, I listen to grime. Fair and enough. when I first heard the noises, I'm like, oh, this would make an amazing grime song. <laughs> Actually, the other day, I was just listening to grime songs and also in the background at the same time playing the noises of Antarctic seals to see if they fit. And yeah, they, they work really well as a good backdrop to grime songs. So it totally fits well. Yeah. And um, also I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if I could get Stormzy involved in me making a grime song via seals? I think that would be ticking off so many um, life goals, <laughs> work with seals, create a grime song, get Stormzy involved on it. And um, I, I don't want to make any promises, but what, what's essentially happened is um, by using Grime, it's quite good because, okay, I'm a big fan, but aside from me being a fan, lots of young inner city kids listen to this and typically kids from schools that might not be exposed to conservation. So it's a really, really good way of getting them to see what's going on with my state-of-the-art research. And also then I get to do the whole thing of, hey guys, we all like grime. I'm someone who's like you, doing polar science. You should totally get involved. And then, you know, from there, present various opportunities or just allowing them to know that we exist and you, you should come, you know, work in this field and you can become a polar scientist. You can become a conservationist. You don't have to be David Attenborough. You don't have to be Captain Scott. You don't have to be an XR rebellion protester getting arrested. You can just be a guy like me with a career in this field who sometimes makes grime music from seals. Seals in space. So I'm just guessing you're sort of spying on seals and their colonies using... I am. Yeah. I am. So I use very, very, very high resolution satellite images. How high resolution are we talking here? So if you left your laptop out in Antarctica, I would be able to see the laptop all the way from space in my satellite image. So essentially anything that is bigger than an A4 piece of paper, and as long as the color contrasts with the background, you should be able to pick it out. So that means I can see seals, it means I can see baby seals, and if a seal has just given birth, when we take the image and there's blood on the sea ice from the seal giving birth, you can even see the blood all the way from space. Wow, so it is a super easy method of population monitoring. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a really, really effective method because um, if you think about this region I'm studying, it's Antarctica, and these seals live and breed on the sea ice. So not only do you have the issue of it being dangerous, inaccessible, and expensive, you also have the issue of it's a sea ice habitat which expands to its maximum extent in winter to an area that's roughly double the size of Europe. Wow. So going out in a plane or going out in a boat it's just not feasible for the scale we're dealing with, which is the yeah. normal method of monitoring um, wildlife populations. 
But with these satellite images, you can capture the whole region and get global population counts for these Antarctic seals for the first time. So it's very, very exciting technology. <laughs> How do you tell the difference between a seal and a rock? So that is a big, big issue, is that my seals look a lot like rocks, and there's many, many rocks. Um, so essentially what I have to do in that situation is something called ground truthing. And that's where you will go visit the place where you take your satellite images and actually look to see if it's a rock or a seal in person. Um, but it's expanding on that and it's coming up with a way of figuring out how can we have it. So the satellite image and the computer programs we use to look at these satellite images will always be able to detect what's a seal and what's a rock. And a really cool way of doing that is by doing something called spectral imaging. So I'm gonna go out into Antarctica, I'm gonna have a special camera, and that's gonna tell me this precise tone of the seal's fur, and it will tell me the precise tone of black for the rock. And you can feed in these um, right. signatures to do with the tones of their color into a computer system. So when you're flying a drone or looking at satellite images, automatically the computer will be able to say this difference in tone of black which the human mm. eye can't perceive but uh, the computer can at these different wavelengths will be able to tell you whether it's a seal or a rock and then you should hopefully be able to automate that and also just taking thermal images so you know a rock is not going to be warm but a seal will so i'm going to be taking thermal and spectral images of the seals when i get out in antarctica nice because when i when you just say the thermal i'm just thinking of just a just a all the pictures I've ever seen of like seals on a rocks or beaches yeah. or anything like that, they're just millions of them. Yeah. So how, f you know, finite can you get a thermal imagery? Does it not just look like a big red uh, glowing something on top of a big blue yeah. glowing? So, I mean, I guess, first of all, it depends on the colony of seals. So often in Antarctica, you'll have, um, they can be really close up and quite gregarious and just in a big, big, mass but often you will get a few seals thinly dispersed over a large expanse um but what's quite good is with the resolution of thermal imagery we're using is that you should be able to pick out the individual thermal signatures of each seal because okay. it is quite high resolution the cameras we're using and what's quite cool is not only is it just detecting oh is there a warm body mass here or not it's looking at can we detect a difference in thermal signatures between species and between behavioral states. And what I mean by that is if you take a satellite image just or a drone image of a seal that's on a bit of sea ice, all you can say is what's happening in that specific moment in time. So you can see there's a seal on a bit of sea ice near the water's edge. You don't have much more information. But if you take a thermal image, that almost gives you a window into the past few hours because an interesting thing with seals is yeah. when they go diving all their blood gets um diverted away from their external limbs and goes to their vital organs but when the seal is digesting food and it's up on land its blood will you know be redistributed and you should be able to detect that difference in a thermal image so you know we go from just having it snapshot in time when you think okay there's a seal in this specific location we don't know if it's just come out of the water, we don't know if it's going to enter the water, to saying, oh, there's a seal in this location, and the reason it's there is because it's digesting its food right now, because we can see that from the thermal images. Environmental science 
um, Antarctica, seals. How did, how did you, where did you re- your passion for your research become? I mean, to be honest with you, I sort of fell into the field um, through my university choices. So I applied to do geography. It ended up being marine geography at Cardiff University. And I had just thought of all geography being human geography. And then when I took on the course and I arrived there, I realised in my first week that, oh, we're doing science, physics, maths, and oh, there's a boat, and oh, we have to go swim. And um, I couldn't swim. I didn't do any science A-levels, so I was very concerned. But I thought to myself, um, as a teen, I had always really, really wanted to be um, just someone working in wildlife, almost like David Attenborough. And I always wanted to be exposed to wildlife because I would grow up watching these BBC nature documentaries and I would be aware that, you know, there's a whole variety of wildlife within Britain, essentially on our doorsteps, such as, you know, foxes, owls, badgers and so on, uh, even seals and dolphins. But I I just never really saw that because um, I grew up in like an inner city urban area. And um, my parents as well, they come from North India and in, in an ironic way, even though they are from a more rural agricultural area, they don't partake in any recre- recreational activities in... In Britain? In Britain, yeah. I mean, in terms of... So even though my parents are from like a rural area, when it comes to recre- recreational activities, there are no rural recreational activities that really happens from where they're from. You don't really go camping. You don't really go for nature walks. Country walks. Yeah, no, no. the land is just um, something you work on and it is work. It's not something you really necessarily get to enjoy in the way we do here where we have specific yeah. activities. So just convincing them to let me go camp, they didn't really get like, why do you want to go sleep in a tent? We've worked so hard to get this house and blah, blah, blah. So I just had this um, sort of scenario in which I always wanted to just be immersed in nature but I couldn't quite get it and I think in a weird way just having a slight lack of it because my parents weren't involved in these sort of um, rural activities just made me want it even more so then when I ended up studying marine geography and we ended up going on all these field trips working offshore and working you know in the woods of South Wales and so on um, I just loved it and then oh god yeah had you learned to swim at this point no, I hadn't actually. Have you st- have you learned to swim now? No, I haven't. I still okay. can't swim. So I've done a degree in marine geography. I've worked as a seafloor mapper offshore. And now I work with seals and sea ice and I still can't swim, I'm afraid. What's that feeling like when you're on a boat? Have you I guess you've been you've you've been on a boat by now because Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like... I used to work on boats all the time just mapping the seafloor. That yeah. was my job before coming here. Um to be honest with you because I always have a life jacket, I'm just I'm I'm too too brave. I feel for my own good. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned the fact that your family didn't take you out to indoors. Is that quite common for kids mm-hmm. from your background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think certainly. So when I was growing up, um, I had a very diverse mix of friends simply because I was from a diverse inner city yeah. area. So you know, some of my best friends are Zambian, some are Kenyan, others yeah. are Pakistani, some are from the Caribbean, and with most of us from a black and Asian background, um, being involved in nature is just not something we really did. But you went there to collect and study animals? Yeah, I mean, well, like, the field was just a place where you could play football, more or less, rather than it 
being a place for nature. It's just somewhere you can kick a ball without smashing someone's window in. Okay. Basically, so there's just a real um, unacquaintance, and it's just not normalised. And I remember just really weird stuff. Like I remember I was getting um, a scan of my teeth in a hospital in Cardiff, and the woman doing my scan was a a young Pakistani woman and she was saying to me oh you know what do you do I said I do marine geography and she was really taken back she was oh I remember I took like biology as an A-level and we went off to the beach and we were working in rock pools and she said like I remember this distinctively she goes it and I found it so weird you know people like us being around a rock pool <laughs> so there's just such a big um yeah I don't know it, it's quite it, it's such a nebulous thing yeah. that you yeah, I haven't really thought enough about it to really put it quite into words, but it's just something that you subconsciously sort of know is a bit odd yeah. to do for your community. Yeah. Um, and yeah, with my parents, the, the thought of going camping, going walking is really, really alien to them. And not just alien, you know, if you're working class, you're working long hours in a minimum wage job, you just don't have the time or physical energy to go do physical stuff in a really far away place it's just various reasons why they won't get involved but i'm trying to change that so much and um because you know they, they're getting a bit older and i want them to be able to just enjoy nature and be exposed to it because it is a beautiful thing we have in this country and it is you know sad that we can't all have access to it so what i did for my birthday which was last saturday um, I had my parents come up to Cambridge and I actually took them to the Norfolk coast and I showed nice. them seals for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, my parents were so amazed. I think it's one of the best things they've ever had. Like my mum really liked it because there were baby seals being born. Actually, right. th we're hoping there's going to be a record number of seal pups being born there, hopefully over 2000. And um, what, what's, what's brought on the record? What is it? Just It's just been each year they've just been doing quite well and we just presume it's going to keep going that way as long as there's yeah, no big disease. Yeah, I guess the numbers, if there's more of them, yeah. then, then there's more yeah, chance yeah, of them yeah. growing. Okay, right. Yeah, so um, with, with the seals, I thought, oh, this is like the perfect birthday thing. One is I get to have my parents, um, you know, be exposed to nature because for me, I feel really awesome being able to work with seals and go to Antarctica and the Arctic and just, you know, even just going on boats around the UK. I feel really good about that. But um. I really, really, really want my friends and family from back home to also have these sort of different experiences that I get to enjoy. So yeah, like I said, I had my parents come up because I thought it's my birthday, it's the seal's birthday, um, loads of birthdays. Loads of birthdays all at once. Yeah, right, all yeah. at once. And um, yeah, no, they, they just loved it so much. And my mum was like, she really liked it because she saw baby seals and the mums looking after them. And I think my parents just, my mum said to me she thought she would never ever see such a sight in her life because yeah she's seen seals on tv and even though her own son she's seen videos and pictures of me working with seals it's just such an alien thing to them and uh my dad even asked if there's any seals in ilford because we have a relative visiting but yeah i don't think there is any exactly in ilford but t to be fair to be fair isn't it don't it, you do you find seal uh, this might i might be asking mm -hmm. a stupid question but is that true you can find seals in 
little bits of rivers, but that might be closer to a, like a sort no, of estuary. No, no, you're completely right. So in the Thames, the seals have returned. So you can really? find common seals in the Thames and their numbers are increasing because, you know, the Thames, there's been lots of effort to clean it up and wildlife is coming back and that includes seals. So there are seals in the Thames estuary. I'm getting a sense of enthusiasm and inspiration. And are you trying to continue that on to, you know, people behind you, you know, yeah. trying to inspire them? So kids now. I totally so i mean i've only got into this within the past few years so it's not that hard for me to look at what my life was a year or two ago and realize i'm in a very lucky position and to get into this is so 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 difficult polar research is difficult because i mean just the concept of doing science in antarctica some people might have an image of victorian explorers or other people will just have an idea of you have to be some sort of um rich globe trekking explorer i guess a modern day victorian explorer and the idea of just working in antarctica is just not feasible at all and then also with conservation the issue you have there is people see images of conservation a bit more often it doesn't seem so far-fetched but again with conservation it's something where you need a lot of money because mm. you don't just need a degree in it you also need lots of experience and conservation is the one stump subject where you will typically not be paid for internships i mean you're paying for the internship you're paying I imagine. for the internships most cases you know thousands of pounds to spend some time working in indonesia or the caribbean or the philippines on um you know coral reefs and whatever it is so it's just so many barriers from what i do and i'm also in you know cambridge university so whether it's Oxbridge, whether it's polar research, whether it's conservation, each of those on their own have their own barriers and very difficult to get to. So now I'm here, I really yeah. want to, you know, sort of um, hit all three birds with one stone and just open the field and provide opportunities for, you know, working class kids. Because I guess my main goal in life was I just want to open up opportunities to working class kids to be able to choose which career they want. Mm. And just know that they have the capacity to do it. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to get a science, a PhD in science from the best university for science. And I'll sort of be the proof of the pudding that not only can you do it, but also while I'm here, I'm going to just open the doors now while I'm here rather than wait and just allow people to come in. Yeah. And uh, I guess one thing I've done is I've set up um, a network for ethnic minorities and polar research to provide a support platform for ethnic minorities who are already in the field because when it comes to academia it can be really lonely and i'm sure you working in comms you you've been pushing out so much stuff to do with mental health and those yeah. aspects of academia in the past sort of couple of months in the past year but academia is lonely studying polar regions is even more even isolating more lonelier. Yeah. yeah and then if you're visibly different to everyone else in your department it can be even more lonely and i always thought to myself i don't want there to be an ethnic minority somewhere in a department who's the only one and if you know they're feeling like they might have issues they don't know who to talk to i don't want them to feel like they can't speak to anyone because there is no one for them to take the risk of confiding in um yeah. if there's no one who looks like them so i thought i'll set up the yeah. network and it's a support platform for everyone who's in the field and then also i want to change society's image of what an entire explorer is to inspire you know young black and asian kids to get involved yeah. but also people who are a bit older who are more university level 
who are now looking for careers to enter into. So I've set up an internship to have 10 students work with me on my Seal from Space project. And we're gonna spend a week just going through state-of-the-art wildlife um, monitoring techniques using this satellite imagery and just you know giving them this resource which typically costs thousands of pounds for free and just giving them these skills which are very cutting edge and most other conservationists who perhaps have the money to go to Indonesia and Australia and do the typical forms of um, volunteering where you're working and diving um, they won't have those skills um, so I guess it's it's very very good in that it's cutting edge conservation skills that not many other people will have but also it's very cost effective because you just need to bring in a laptop a laptop and you can do it anywhere you can do it anywhere so yeah. whether it's a case of you can't afford to leave where you are or you have dependents to look after or you know your parents need help or even if you've got a volunteer you know even if you've got a work time uh, work part-time in asda and so on on your summer holidays you can still do this work in the evenings from the laptop through the satellite imagery i will provide to yeah. these kids and I guess you're doing a lot with your uh, public profile as well of uh, trying. what uh, an explorer looks like. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I'm trying to do again because I want to change the image is not just the image within my field because you know within my field it's not that hard to go high. I exist. It's changing society's image, yeah. which is much much more difficult because that is not formed by who is actually. The polar scientist it's formed by what the media shows the polar scientist being and what the movies show and what the documentaries show and yeah. what what you know just general media shows as being this person rather than the actual people and you know the way it is is we think of antarctica and antarctic science antarctic exploration as very much a something of the victorian period you know sepia tainted photos and um it isn't necessarily the case because both past and present Antarctica has had a history in which it's not just been Victorian like Western white individuals only being the ones involved. It's always had a variety of people. I mean, the mm. oldest human remains within Antarctica is a skull which belongs to a indigenous South American woman, um, which, you know, even people who work within polar museums who i've spoken to don't realize this yeah it's a totally different story totally than the one you normally story. hear yeah um and even stuff like the sealers who are were white and western yep. such as the um the americans and the british people going down to hunt seals well they were being funded by canton in china so again there's this global perspective to do with antarctica which we don't realize and just if you look at it in the present day you have people like me doing polar conservation and um even if you look at it on more of a global scale you have various nations in asia and africa who are involved in polar research whether that's um the south african antarctic mm -hmm. program whether it's india it's japan it's korea it's china there's lots and lots of players in this field um so yeah what's the best way to change the image well a lot of it is just free media and um i try to make an effort of trying to accept as many interview requests as I can because for me it's not a case of oh I get to talk about my research it's you know one of the main drivers is let's visibly change the appearance and yeah. I want people to hear polar explorer and I purposely title myself as a polar explorer because I want people's minds to imagine 
someone who doesn't look like me. So when when yeah. they meet me, it makes the point. So that's um, where sort of polar prem, the persona yeah, of polar prem exactly. comes from. Polar prem comes from that because I want people to think polar scientists. What's that? Polar explorer. What am I thinking? And then they meet me and they're like, oh, that is not you know what I would have imagined. And then from there, I get to hopefully talk to young kids and. National Geographic have a kids magazine and they were really really lovely and did um, an interview with me so sort of like a big interview to do with inspiring kids on how to enter various careers and you know typically they do it with like wildlife photographers and so on but with me they were really really nice in that they highlighted the whole idea of I want to change the image of an Antarctic explorer and they talked yeah. about my background they sort of mentioned how um, you know they, they talked about my family and so on and just little little snippets of stories like uh i i guess one story they included is my mum not really knowing what i do and that's not just antarctic science it's just me being in university after i've done a degree just even that is something quite hard for a lot of people from sort of working class ethnic minority communities to grasp and yeah i i remember my my mum was shopping in asda and one of her customers said to her, oh, it's really chilly in here. It's like the North Pole. And my mum was like, oh, my, my son's in the North Pole. And she goes, oh, what's he doing there? She's like, oh, just a school trip looking for <laughs> polar bears. <laughs> yeah, so she doesn't, yeah. But yeah, all these cute stories, they kind of threw all of them in there. So, And it's really nice because um, kids who see that magazine, they're like, oh, he's got parents, which are exactly like mine. If yeah. he is a guy who's doing studying seals from space in Antarctica, then I can do it too. And they definitely can because I'm not anyone who's special. I just do this because I do it. I don't do it because I'm a special person. It's just what I happen to do. So therefore, you all can do it because I, I can assure you I'm not a special guy by any stretch of the imagination at all. Do you hear that, everyone? Anyone can do it. Anyone can spot a seal from space, can they? Anyone can. Well, that's, you know, in, in the first week of December, I'll have 10 students working with me from black and Asian backgrounds who will be spotting seals and satellite images, and they'll see for themselves that you can do it. And with the 3D immersive experience, we're going to make it that you can virtually do the science I'm literally doing. And instead of it being like a sort of top down, oh, here's a field, here's what you can do. They just physically do it. And I always want them to not realize they're doing the literal science I do until the very end when uh, through the virtual experience we sort of thank them for contributing to this high impact project which will contribute to the first ever global population counts for these seals and they're like oh is that what it is I can definitely do that I can consider it so yeah, yeah. I just I guess it's almost like sort of getting to them uh, um, the fact that this is what the end goal is but you know to get there you're just like you've got to yeah here, here are the stepping stones the stepping stones yeah so some of it is well here's some experience some yep. other things are like you don't have just showing people that look i'm doing it i'm not special you don't have to be special and i make a big effort of i guess highlighting or showing my parents in my social media feeds and not just my science so people can really see that i am just a normal guy like them with parents like them you know and i've had um i've had a really lovely people on twitter you know reach out to me and there's one person who's a creator miranda low at the natural history museum and she was saying you know um just to give some context she's um 
uh, a black biologist at the Natural History Museum, right. and she's really, really big inspiration of mine. But she sent me a message going, oh, hi, I love your post. I really love the ones about your parents. My parents are so similar. And it's just that nice connection there that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it it doesn't take much for me to highlight it, and you might not think of it as much, but for a lot of people, just seeing that makes them makes it what I do much more plausible, much more down to earth, much more accessible because it is just it's just totally likable to yeah. their situation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm the seal from Space Guy. That's it from us at the We Are the University podcast. If you like what you're hearing. Don't forget to head on over to the iTunes store or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from and give us a five-star rating. I'm Nick Safbell and see you next week. <laughs>